Hello and welcome to the Global City Missions Podcast. The podcast is hosted by Global City Mission Initiative. This is Seth Bouchel, GCMI's team leader in New York. And today I'm going to be interviewing Steve Miller on the subject mentoring and coaching mission. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for being here today. So, Steve, I would love if you would just tell our audience and explain a little bit about how you got where you are in New York and what your background in missions is. Uh, in, in 1971, my wife and I went to France for language school for 14 months. We then went to Guadeloupe and spent seven years in theological education by extension, which was a fairly new program uh, that was trying to train leaders uh, locally. Uh, from there, we went back to France and spent 10 years in church planting with a Guadeloupean co-worker. Uh, and we spent those 10 years starting three or four small house churches that uh, is st- are still going today. Uh, <clears throat> from there, I went came back to the United States and spent uh, six years as the international director for World Team uh, Church Planting Mission. And we then merged with an agency and the new merger, I became the trainer uh, and basically mentor coach and have been doing that uh, up until 2012. 2012, my wife and I moved to New York City to be mentors to the equip program that's had about 120 people go through it up to this point. And I do some of the training, but also uh, we mentor the my, both my wife and I mentor um, the men and women that are in the program. Right. So you have a, a lot of experience doing leadership development, training, mentoring, not only for national church leaders and disciples, but especially for missionaries uh, around the world. And I should mention that you were my mentor my first year and <laughs> plenty after that, for sure, in New York, uh, as I went through the equip program as part of my preparation with GCMI. Uh, so thanks for joining us today. And I, I really want to take advantage of your wealth of experience to talk about common issues in coaching and mentoring new missionaries. Uh, We talk a lot about on the podcast about training, where we focus more on ministry skills um, and techniques, perhaps. But, you know, you've done a lot in helping spiritually and emotionally form missionaries to be healthy in the field, to work well as teams. So I would love to just take advantage of, of your knowledge and experience there. So why don't we start out just tell me about common issues that you run into mentoring and coaching new missionaries and new missionary couples. Well, speaking of the 120 that have come through here, which most of them are wanting to go overseas, I think the first thing I find is this is a totally different generation. The millennials and those close to them uh, come in with a different perspective than I've had in, as I grew up. And so for me, for both my wife and I, we've had to struggle with how do we connect with them? Uh, I think one of the, the struggle points that they're having is oftentimes they're, they're not as focused on what they want to do. Uh, they have things that are very important to them and they want to, you know, live out of those things. But oftentimes they have no clue what missionary life is going to be. They don't have any understanding of uh, how, how to integrate all of their life into ministry and into uh, doing uh, a ministry that God's called them to. Yeah. So uh, I think for me, the, the the big challenge has been to help them understand that this is a long journey they're going to be on if they're going into missions. Sure. And m- most of them are very immediate thinking. They only think beyond 
a day or two or a week or a month rather than thinking through, I'm going to be in in this journey for five or ten years. How how am I going to develop and be developed in that time? So they have a very short-term perspective. Interesting. I'm curious about that. Because uh, you identified it as a generational thing, and you were doing mentoring and leadership development, you know, back in the seventies and eighties. Uh, how was it different then? What what was the perspective then in contrast to now? Well, I think back then there's much more of an of an idea that I signed up, I will stay forever. Okay. Whereas the younger generation is much more. If I don't like this, I'm going to move on, or you know, will I fit into this, or? Will it right. suit what I want to do or what I want to become? So rather than a long-term or even lifelong commitment to missions where you see your development and the work playing out over the course of a lot of your adult life, maybe a more experimental uh, or adventure-seeking culture where, well, let me try this and see if it no, fits. No. I, I would say very much so that – that's a feel that you have, which that doesn't, that hasn't bothered me or caused me to struggle. Part of it is helping them realize this is a long journey. Right. Not just that you're going to be in missions, but that God is taking you on a journey that is going to require your willingness to follow, listen, do whatever he wants to do. Right. So it's not that I just want them to get to the field and you be successful. I want them to be able to live a whole full life that they can be content with God right. and in God as they journey, which most of them have a very short-term perspective. Sure. Well, in, when I think about your journey, you know, you, you have the years of language school and culture learning just to start really being effective in the field. You spend a decade in France doing, you know, what I think a lot of people would think of as your missionary residency. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and spend years on the organizational leadership side. And now, you know, near your retirement age, you're up here mentoring missionaries, but it seems like you have so many different segments in terms of where your placement was and where your vocation is, but it, in some ways it's all a part of your overall mission, right? That's right. That's that, right. That it is a lifelong journey, even though it changed, you know, city to city, country to country, you're on a lifelong mission. Yeah. So I, I see where that comes from your story. How do you help other people realize that and integrate that into their own uh, work? Um, I think the the big thing that I'm trying to do is uh, give them perspective on where they are right now is just an initial phase and that God is going to carry them into the next two to five years and develop them and expose them to a variety of things and show them new things that he wants them to discover. But he really wants, I believe, people to come over their lifetime to discover who I am and how I can best and most effectively do ministry for the, for the king and, and be involved in, in kingdom ministry. Right. Uh, but that changes over, over time. Now, what I've seen in the past in my historically going back the, you know, 30 or 40 years, a lot of missionaries did not move or, or have adjustments. They basically stayed on a field. They did their ministry, blah, 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 blah. But what's happening now is people, it's harder to stay 20 or 30 years on a field because that's not the life expectancy of a missionary today. Right. There's, there's a lot more volatility going on. People are leaving, having to leave the field because of government issues or there's personal issues or, or whatever, as well as the younger generation. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go and try something else. So, mm-hmm. 
that is, I think that's a, a very key element in what's happening in missions. So a 10 year career in missions is becoming, I think, more normal than where, you know, me being in missions now almost 50 years right. was, is abnormal. Right. Okay. No, that makes sense. Uh, I, I'm interested, you know, when you're, when you're mentoring missionaries and missionary couples, um, you know, you usually have them for a year or two before they're kind of out on their own. I know they keep contact with you. I certainly have. But in terms of, you know, the, the most contact, the most fruitful contact you have with them is in a couple year period. What are the most important things to help develop and form in them before kind of sending them off, uh, to, to do their long-term work? Well, um, I, I believe for me, uh, in my journey, I was in, involved in a study of the book of Galatians, and I became very aware that for probably a good half to two-thirds of my life, I was living out of a very limited understanding of what the gospel meant for me. And I, what I mean by that is I, I came to Christ, and it's kind of like I got my my ticket to heaven and now I've got to work for my holiness. And so I moved into trying to perform and trying to do the work myself out of my own energy, out of my own uh, abilities. Sure. Uh, so I became a performance junkie, if right. you want to call it that. But uh, in 1999, when I came across this study in Galatians, I really had almost, this is a heretical term, but like a second <laughs> conversion of realizing the gospel liberated me from me sure. and I could have total identity in who Christ is. And I could accept that for myself. I didn't have to perform for anybody. Sure. And I believe that right now, if a missionary would understand what Christ did for them, you can go any place on the planet and thrive because you have his presence, you understand what he's doing for you sure. rather than you performing to try yeah. and make yourself good or look good. Yeah. And I've seen this across the globe. I've been in 58 countries and I've seen t way too many national leaders who basically are out there performing and trying to look good. They're not transparent. They're not open and they are discipling people to be, be that same way, exactly. which is yeah. very dangerous yeah, and gives a false image of what it means to be in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things we say a lot on our team as a maxim is, you know, you need to be a disciple that's worth reproducing. That's right. I agree. So I very much hear what you're saying in terms of if you are driven to, to perform or to, you know, have this sort of image that other people perceive and are impressed by or whatever it is, that can be really toxic for your ministry. Well, I, I think, I think that same problem was back in my day. Sure. And most of the missionaries I grew up around, and I said, you know, for me, almost two-thirds of my ministry life, I had a very limited understanding of what it meant to, to have Christ in me and that he was my identity. Sure. I wasn't trying to find another identity. I think as well, the 120 people we have trained here and have gone through the, the Galatians series, I believe most of them have come out of churches in which performance is a key element of being a good Christian. Yeah. Can I, can I ask you a question on that? Just to make sure I'm understanding correctly. Uh, if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like you're saying a lot of people come into the work 
using the ministry as the basis for self-validation or to find a sense of worthiness or value rather than the ministry being an extension of their identity as someone that's known and loved, you know, by God. Is that absolutely, absolutely. But I think that's, that's what's happening in the churches today. We give, we give people the gospel quote, you know, Christ died and rose again for our salvations. I accept that. I believe, and now I'm a believer, but what happens after that experience is we go into performance. We we try and do things so that we can please God rather than God is already pleased with us. Sure. And uh I find that that is as true now as it was back in the day before yeah. I even understood this. Sure, that makes sense. Uh so I mentioned that that's one of the major challenges. What about the ways that the contemporary mission field has changed. What about that excites you or that you think is a positive move? Well, I, I think, you know, being, I'll give you an illustration. Back in, in the late, uh, 90s, uh, the president of the, the, um, Southern Baptist Mission came into a large mission gathering and basically said, all of our research is open to anybody who wants it. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, they're able to open up their doors. I'm seeing probably in the last 25 years a wide, a much open, a wider open door for people to learn from one another. Uh, I think I've been most excited coming here and just being really <coughs> schooled in church planning movements and understanding the whole multiplication side. I went to the field basically saying, I gotta find, I gotta plant my church, you know, yeah. I gotta do my church plant gig, sure. uh, rather than I wanna go and find some nationals who can plant the church. And I think that's been radical, uh, a radical move, and I wish I had known that 40 years ago. Sure, so like a shared learning culture and a more collaborative sense across right. missions than just, you know, everyone having their own kind of silo that maybe even compete with one another. Right. Yeah, that's big. Uh, so I'm curious, one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of missionaries that I've seen, you know, when I, when I think about the field that I was educated from, you know, mm-hmm. the, the seasoned veteran missionaries that were speaking to my life before I came to the field, one of the most common problems that they identified was the way that a lot of career missionaries had sacrificed family for the sake of the work, um, that their families had become unhealthy and been neglected for this performance yeah. anxiety like you're talking about. One of the things that I see on the other side of that now with people that are more of my own contemporaries is the almost sacred cow of family where we, we don't work, we don't go out and be self-initiating because we never want to do anything that pulls us away from kind of the household and, yeah. and keeping it healthy and maintaining it. And so you end up with people that are in the field but really working at a very low level uh, in terms of right. their own effort or, or trying to pursue relationships and do you, is that something that you see as well? And if so, how do you deal with that as a missionary mentor and coach? Well, I think uh, definitely I've seen it. I mean, yeah. I grew up with the, the you know, sacri- you know, in a sense, it was God and then it was ministry and then it was ministry and then it was ministry. Uh, <laughs> and, then and I've seen the, the swing back to it's really God, family, ministry, family, 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 ministry. So I think in my mentoring is, is trying to help people grapple with how do, how do I live a balanced life exactly. of ministry and family? It's not one above the other. Exactly. It's just, I have to make good choices right. 
but I, I'm not neglect, neglecting either of them. But there are times you have to say no to family or you have to say no to ministry because of the other need that is there. And I've seen that in my life. Uh, I think the other part is, is having, particularly if you're in a, of course, family, you have children, it's critical for wives and husbands to be in full sync with how they're going to do that. Uh, and really struggled in our first. And being your wife. My wife. Yeah. Um, uh, we, she really struggled in our first, uh, term in in uh, in Guadalupe because we had two small kids and she she said to me one day she said I would just love to just get up at six o'clock in the morning and read my bible and study and then go off and do this training and, and that thing and it took her about two years to understand she had a role to play at that point I was with my kids but I also had six six nights a week I was out doing training right. uh, in theological education by extension so I, I find the better there's harmony between husband and wife and how they can balance those elements sure. will make for a very healthy and a profitable ministry uh, wherever they are. Well, I know one of the things that you and Anne as mentors in the Equip Apprenticeship in New York have pushed for is that husbands and wives go through the training experience together so that they remain equally yoked as they learn about culture and ministry. Can you speak to that and why that's so important? Yeah, I think that's one of our high values. I guess I, I, over my experience uh, on the field as a leader, I have seen almost 80 to 90 percent of the time in the past where wives got the got the second the second shift, the second uh, straw of everything. And it was always short. So they didn't do language as well. They didn't spend as much time in language. And uh, our value here in, in Equip, and I have a, a very high value that you spend time together in language. Uh, I oftentimes say as well that, you know, over a period of time, it's not going to take probably uh, 10 to 12 years, 13 years before your kids are start moving out of your home. And what's her ministry going to be? If you don't prepare that at the up front, she's going to be lang- languishing and lagging behind tremendously. Sure. So here we want to e- equip and, and challenge the wives to be as much as possible fully engaged in understanding and doing the ministry. And and because it's preparing them not just for the near future, but for their long haul, sure. they're going to stay in missions. Right. So that both both people in the couple can it can be their mission and right. their ministry rather than, you know, well, the husband needs to go out and learn culture and the, you know, the rest of the family yeah. just stays at home in this sort of isolated bubble. And I, I've appreciated that about the equip program uh, and about you guys' mentorship. Um, you know, the last thing I would love for you to hit on before we leave off in this episode, I know you do a lot of coaching with people about peer coaching and mentorship, mm-hmm. because once you're on the field with a team, a lot of the mentorship has to be between peers, between teammates. What would you highlight as the most important values or skills to learn for that kind of relationship? Well, I'd start off with just asking really good questions. You know, right now it, it's oftentimes easier to tell than to ask. What do you mean and by that? It's easier for me to tell you how to do something, or uh, but to ask you a, quest, a question like, um, where are you going to be in the next uh, two to five years, Seth? What's your journey going to be? What are you seeing out there? See, by asking a question, it provokes thinking. It demands that 
the other person reflect at a deeper level rather than just hearing me do the blah, blah, blah and give you information, <laughs> which may not register or just kind of goes through your ears and, you know, out the back of your head and never to be remembered again. Sure. Uh, and, and I find it's been interesting. I still mentor probably four or five of the equipees that were here uh, during these past six years. And uh, it's interesting talking to them when they're on the field because it's really getting very real to them sure. about language learning and all of that. So um, I, I just find that by asking them more questions than just telling them. Uh, so I do a blend of mentor coaching. Coaching, I think, has a stronger questioning time. Mentoring is much more of a sharing of information or wisdom from uh, the mentor to the mentee. So I'm interested, uh, you know, I, I assume it's public knowledge that this is your and Anne's last year in New York. Is that right? Our last half year. Last half year. <laughs> uh, how do you judge your success over this span of career as you plan to go back home to Georgia? And I'm sure you'll still be involved in missions and mystery at some point, but you're closing another chapter, right. and in the same way you're still ongoing on this lifelong mission, yeah. uh, how do you evaluate this closing time for yourself? Um, well, I mean, we made the decision in this past December, and we're really having kind of some whirling emotions going on. Our desire to go back to a house we have in Georgia that's 2,700 square feet rather than the 680 that we live in in a one-bedroom <laughs> apartment. Yeah. Um, and so we're longing to go back there. I mean, our hearts, sure. and we think about it, talk about it almost every day since December uh, when we made the decision. But we're also realizing we are really going to miss the investment we've been able to put into the lives of the people that the 120 that have gone through here. I would say probably a good 100 of them have been very receptive and responsive, and we've had an impact in their life. Yeah. Uh, a number of years I took a doctoral class, and I wrote, uh, a paper, 111 pages, to write one page, four paragraphs. In the first paragraph, which was my personal mission statement, sure. is I wanted to, I wanted to help cross-cultural workers move down their timeline and discover more of who they are so they could really finish well. And, uh, I believe both Ann and I, we, we feel very good about having done that. Yeah. And uh, we're going to miss that. I mean, yeah. we're going to miss the the deep inner relationships that we've developed here. Uh, it's very taxing, very tiring, but highly rewarding. I mean, the reason I, we came here was we wanted, we wanted to hang out with young people and share, pass on some things that we can help them so they don't have to do make the same mistakes we made right. when we were back in the 70s. Absolutely. Well, I, I know you've certainly been that in, in my life. I know you have for the rest of our GC, my team. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for being here today with us to share your wisdom with us, Steve. Uh, and thank you for joining us today on the Global City Missions podcast. You can learn more about GCM on our website at globalcitymission.org, or you can visit us on our Facebook and Twitter.